You are listening to Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about us and to connect, go to our website at riverbendchurch.life. So this is week five of Elephant in My Family series, and we only have one more week to go in this series, but let me tell you kind of where we're going really quickly uh, in the future. So two weeks from the day, we're going to take sort of a standalone day, and I want to update you on where we are uh, in the We Are Hope vision as far as what's happening behind the scenes. Um, And so I'll let you know about that, but also I want to tell you about three days of hope. Last year we did this. It happens in December, Um, but I want to kind of give you an early heads up about how you can go ahead and think about it and get involved there, and then I want to ask you to consider what we're going to do in January. So we're going to take one week to kind of just look at the future, and in January we'll do 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you've never done that before, or maybe you haven't really taken us up here before, I believe that you can experience God in a mighty way if you'll do that. But I want to kind of give us a heads up because believe it or not, 2022 will be here before we know it because we're we're on that slide now towards the holidays uh, as we move. And so once football season starts, you know what I mean? It's like next thing you know, it's January as you go. So not wishing it away, but I want us to prepare. So then we're going to dive into a brand new series and it's going to be called Living for the Return. Uh, And this series is going to walk us through these little bitty letters in your Bible called 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And so we will unpack some of the wrestlings and excitements of the end times. The, the, the church at Thessalonica was fixated on the return of Jesus. And I think a lot of us now, we're asking those questions. Like, if this is really real, is Jesus really coming back? And are we living in days when he could? And so I don't think I can answer every question, but I do believe we'll just let the scripture speak to some things that will give us hope and encouragement uh, as we kind of travel through this next season of our lives. And so I'm excited about that as we get closer to it. So that's just a few weeks away and that's coming. But today's message is a little bit different. If you've been with us through the Elephant in My Family series, uh, so far we've looked at elephants that is things that we do that we need to ask God to help us not to do. You could think of it like that. Today is something that's kind of flipped on its head, though. Today is something to where we have to say, God, have I been failing in this? Have I been failing? This one's more about inaction and inviting the Spirit to help us stop being inactive and maybe even apathetic. And so today we're not looking at an elephant of commission, but one of omission. And I think it's something that is very tangible and Everyone can find uh, an immediate next step in this, and it's this elephant withholding good. And you go, that's weird. I don't even know how that's an elephant. Well, you hang with me a minute, and I may be able to convince you. But I believe that this creates a tension in our families that we don't even know is there. You know what it's like to have an elephant in the room or an elephant in the conversation, you know, that, that lurking tension. You're like, I know we need to address this, but I just don't want to right now. This one is the tension that's there, and sometimes you don't even realize it's there until some crazy pastor comes and says, hey, you got an elephant living up in your house, and I want to set you free from it. I think God wants you to be free, but, you know, um, the greatest part about this message today in just a few minutes It's not one you have to contemplate deeply. It's not one that's hard to understand. Honestly, this one is something you're going to be able to see it and go, I can make a decision immediately to step into new life, to change something in my life that will change my family and change my relationships. And so 
Maybe for your marriage or your parenting or your friendships, today can be an obvious step towards freedom and healing. And so the half-brother of Jesus, and he was a fiery uh, kind of pastor in Jerusalem uh, in the first century, he preached a convicting message in one line. I want to show you what it is. Here it is. Here's what James said. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Another way to think about that, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then to betray that, 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 that knowledge, to know what you should do, to be prompted to do something. Now, how do we betray ourselves? What does that look like? Well, self-betrayal is when you violate your conscience. In other words, let's relate it to this verse. When you feel prompted to do good for someone else and then you don't do it, guess what the Bible says? That that is sin just like doing something wrong is. And so we know as believers that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. So our conscience is intricately tied to the Spirit of God. And so when we get prompted to do something good and we withhold that, according to James here, when you know what you ought to do and you're prompted to do, you betray yourself when you know that. Now, as always, God always brings stories to mind about betrayal. So I go, God, I haven't done this, have I? I don't have this. And then I thought like, yeah, this week. And so <clears throat> I got to make up for this one, babe, by the way. So <laughs> something that ministers to my wife's heart is a clean sink. Any of you ladies here like that? It's like, mm, you want to bless me? Like wash the dishes, clean that sink out, baby. That is awesome. All right, so I know that that ministers to my wife's heart because I've been married to her for 24 years. So I know it. But I walked past the kitchen sink and we'd had some people over that day. And I mean, there's just, you know, all of a sudden, it's like I only used one cup and that joke is like, Phew. it's just full. And so I'm walking by the sink and both sides are full. And I really had the time. And you know what? Inside something said, you could really bless your bride and your best friend by washing those dishes. Now, do you know what I did? I sat my dirty glass beside the sink and I went back to what I was doing. Don't you judge me. I feel very judged right now. Listen, <laughs> It's like self-betrayal. It, it, I betrayed myself. I had the time. I knew I could do this good thing. And it was like, James, why'd you have to write a verse like this? You know what you should do, but then you don't do it. Those small little things like that. Small little things. I think James wrote this verse for me. But do you know what I found? This self-betrayal of withholding good, it goes much deeper than not washing the dishes. Tensions in our relationships and... Elephants in the room show up when we withhold anything that we should be given away. Anything that we should hold on to that we don't, anything that we should give away that we don't give away actually creates tension. So I ask myself, why did I betray myself that day? Why do we live with these bigger elephants and tensions? Well, back to week one, painful reality is this. The elephants are there, why? Because we're too proud to acknowledge them. We just ignore them. I feel it, I see it, but I'm just gonna ignore what's really going on. We try a lot of things to put like, you know, a Band-Aid on it, but we don't deal with the issue. We're just too proud to acknowledge it and too stubborn to deal with it. Once we do know about it, we're just too stubborn. We just keep living the same way. And so I wanna take a deep dive this morning for a few minutes into what it looks like to withhold good. There's an ancient proverb written by uh, King Solomon in the 900s B.C., and he was inspired by the Spirit of God. This seems to be a truth that he lived by, at least in his younger years. And here's what he says. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. 
So the first part of this message is kind of self-explanatory. When you have the ability to do good, don't hold it back from somebody who deserves it. But the second part, there's a little bit deeper understanding here. It says when it's in your power. And so as I started looking that up, you know what the, the word power means? It literally means God. In the Old Testament, it was translated as God. So let me get this right. Don't withhold good from those who deserve it, deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Do you know another way to think of that? It's like this. It's this elephant of withholding. Whenever you withhold good from someone, you actually are withholding God from them. Now you go, wait a minute. Back to your dishes story. If I had washed the dishes that day, I literally could have been being Jesus to my spouse. You go, that's crazy. That's so simple. That's what I said. This one is so, so simple. It's those little bitty areas where we betray ourselves. And when we withhold good from someone, we actually can inadvertently be withholding God from someone. So at first glance, when you read a verse or think, we think about money or meeting needs or washing dishes. But when you have it, you give it. But the reality is much deeper than that. When you take into account the whole counsel of scripture and then you take a verse like this, do not withhold good, it actually goes deeper. And withholding of good translates into several vital areas of our lives. And so what does the elephant look like? How does the tension show up of withholding good? I'm gonna give you three ways this morning that I have seen it show up in my life and I've watched it in people I've loved. And here's the first one. The elephant of withholding good shows up like this, to withhold love, and that's simply refusing to give or receive affection. Now, why do we do this? If it's people we love, because we're talking about our families, right? I mean, I know there's a love-hate relationship in a lot of families, especially extended family and in-laws. Listen, I get it. But why do we do this? It could be our pride and stubbornness, but as a pastor who also gets to sit with people who are hurting and who are going through things, one of the reasons that I've come upon that people withhold love is because they've been wounded. You go back in their history somewhere and, and there's woundedness that's there and you've been hurt before. And so what happens is you put self-preservation high on the list. We understand that we're called to love. We understand we should and we even feel it, but We've been hurt, and so we don't do it. Now, an emotionally healthy person has found healing from the wounds, and they can usually give and receive affection well. But if you've been wounded, here's a good test, a litmus test, to see if it's turned into a scar now and it's healed or it's still a wound. It's like, how easily can you love someone or let someone love you, show affection to you? Look what Ray Ortland wrote about Proverbs 3. I read this as a couple weeks ago, and I said, I got to share it. He says, we sin against each other, not only by the bad things we do, but also by the beautiful things we withhold. Withheld love is a life-depleting sin. It is a sin to tell ourselves, I'm not doing anybody any harm. The question is, what good are you withholding? Jesus withheld no good thing from you. So church, it is in your power to tear down the wall around your heart, to let light and love in, and then to obey what Jesus said. Let me remind you what Jesus said about love. He said this, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do you know where this, this tension shows up sometimes? It's towards God, even people that would sit in church 
because you can't understand why you've been through difficult things in life. You can't understand why good God would allow bad things, right? You can't understand why the loss. You can't understand the pain. And we can't answer the questions why. And even when you come to the pastor, I don't have the question, uh, the answer to the question why. I can be there with you. I can pray. But often God doesn't give me insight to tell you why the hard things happen. And so sometimes the brokenness, the woundedness, it's actually towards God himself. And it can be an elephant in our homes and in our relationships. And we're going, God, I'll tip my hat to you, but I'm never going to open myself up to you. And here's Jesus saying, though, you know what? you got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. The primary thing, think about how the enemy attacks. The primary thing that he attacks on, I believe, is this. Withhold your love from God and don't let God love you. That translates into every other area of your life. Well, Jesus goes on to kind of sandwich together another commandment. He says basically part two of the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so love other people. That includes those who live down the hall from you growing up. That includes those that that live in the bedroom with you if it's your spouse. That includes those that you're raising in your home right now. That includes extended family. Love neighbors. But then this is the other woundedness piece. It's, It's as yourself. I've met so many people who don't have any love for themselves. Now, I'm not talking about being prideful and high on yourself and narcissistic. I'm just saying they don't feel like they have any value anymore because life has wounded them and it hasn't healed. And they still believe some old story that somebody told them about themselves or even the enemy whispered in your ear, you're not enough, you'll never be enough because of whatever, because of what you've been through or what you did. And so you don't love yourself and that woundedness hurts. Listen, People feel your woundedness. That's actually the elephant. If you get somebody who's emotionally healthy, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, and you get them around somebody who withholds good because they've been wounded, there's an obvious tension that's there. And you feel it, and you sense it, and you go, I don't know if I want to deal with it. That's how it shows up. Another way withholding good shows up, though, is kind of related to this, and it's this. It's withholding gratitude. Simply refusing to, to give or receive a thank you. There's a story that I love in the scripture where Jesus was, was walking down the road one day outside a city, I think very intentionally, and he met 10 outcasted lepers. And so leprosy, you're talking about quarantine, we understand that over the last couple of years, but their quarantine was you live outside the city and you never see your family again, you never come in. It's a terminal disease, you're ultimately gonna die from it. Uh, so if you were a dad and you got leprosy, you were immediately outcasted and never come home. And so Jesus meets these guys out on the road and he heals them. He has compassion. He walks right up to them. He doesn't quarantine himself. He, obviously, he was led by the Spirit. I'm going to heal. So he heals them, and all 10 of them take off running towards town to see their families. They're obviously excited. Guess how many turn around to tell him thank you? One. One guy turns around and goes back and falls at the feet of Jesus and gives gratitude. And I thought that's a great picture today of how wounded people have such a hard time saying thank you. Because what we feel is, let me, let me break down the psychological part of what's going on. If I say thank you, then that means I'm admitting that you did something for me and maybe I need it or not. You know what I mean? If I say thank you, then that means that I had a need and you met it. And now I'm saying it doesn't necessarily mean that's true. But that's how our, our mind games work sometimes. And you know what? There's also people that, that make an elephant in the room, like create this elephant when you try to tell them thank you. You ever told somebody thank you that didn't know how to receive gratitude? 
They're like, oh, it's not, I mean, uh, yeah. you don't even know what to say, or they put it off on somebody else, and you're like, bro, like you did a good thing. Thank you. So part of this is not withholding the ability to receive gratitude. We're not good at that. Some of us are not good at that. And we hide under this guise of, well, I don't want to be prideful. But the reality is when you get healthy from whatever woundedness you've been feeling, you can go, God, I'm only a steward of what you've given me. So if I have blessed somebody else in my life, then it must be because you gave me something to bless them with. So I'm just going to say, you're so welcome. You're welcome for, for whatever I've done good for you. It was a blessing and a privilege to be able to do that. But in your heart, there's not sin because you know, God, it's all you. You're the one that's done this good thing. and You gave me this ability to do good. And so, Lord, it's all about where you give the glory to. And so part of my prayer this week has been, Lord, help us tear down the walls of love and gratitude. Like the things that you would think would flow freely between spouse, freely between kids, freely to your parents. Actually, we find ourselves withholding when you think about it because we got this wound. Sometimes it goes, listen, it can go back a long time to when you're a kid and somebody beats you down. And they're still beating you down, even though you haven't seen them or haven't, haven't really thought about it in a while. And now it's coming to mind immediately because the Lord, I believe, wants to heal it. He may not restore that relationship. He may not fix everything. But at least you can tear down the wall. So Lord Jesus, help us tear down those walls. Help us teach our kids that we don't withhold love from people that don't love us. Think about Jesus. He didn't. There's another way this elephant is felt, this withholding good from people, and it's this, this withholding forgiveness. And that's simply refusing to receive or offer a genuine apology. To receive it or to give it. To say, I'm sorry, and mean it from your heart, not in the heart, not just the words, but Lord, I'm sorry, or to your friend or to your family, I'm sorry. Some parents are terrible at this when it comes to their kids. I get it. There's a pressure. You know what? I was a young dad. Both my boys are grown now, but I was a young, a very, very young dad trying to have this picture of a healthy family. And what can happen is if your dad anything like me, you put so much expectation on your kid, you're going to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and you're going to be a respectful person. And, and that becomes such a big piece that you forget to address the, the needs of the heart. And over time, what happens is when you mess up, you have a hard time looking your little ones in the eye and saying, you know what, dad messed up, I'm sorry. Some of the most humbling times in my life when I had to go to Judd or Andrew, my boys, and say, look, your dad actually blew, the, blew it this time. And I'm just going to own it to you. And it wasn't fun. It feels like a gut punch when you have to go to your kids. But you know what you're teaching them? I'm not perfect either. And I need Jesus too. And I'm going to own my junk. And guess what? You won't even realize this, but you'll be teaching them to go and ask forgiveness. See, they can come to River Kids and we can talk about, you know, forgive as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And you go, amen. They're getting that at church. But what are they getting at home? Grandparents, Aunts and uncles, those that have kids that are not yours, but you treat them like they're yours. Listen, they're watching you. Man, they're watching you. And they're not expecting you to be perfect. Actually, if you act perfect, you begin to turn them off because it's inauthentic. At some point in time, they write you off. And so I'm not pretending that there's not a reason to be guarded if you've been hurt by someone, okay? 
This is not me saying that we should just be weak and let people back into our circle who have wounded us. But what I am saying, when pride stands in your way of forgiveness, did you know there's a couple of dangers? First is this, that you sin against Jesus and his cross. When you say, I'm, I'm going to withhold forgiveness, and here's why, because they hurt me a lot. I'm not going to forgive them ever. I've had people tell me that straight up. I will never forgive. I've had people tell me I will never forgive God for this for taking this person out of my life. I will never forgive God for allowing this diagnosis to come or allowing things to work out the way they did. And while I understand that, I also think that there's a sin against Jesus and his cross. Look what Paul told the church at Ephesus. He said, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So if you play this backwards, just as God through Christ has forgiven you, you should forgive one another. I mean, it's out of the outflow, so it's not what we get, it's because we've been forgiven. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray this, Lord, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who what? Sin against us. It's almost like a sandwich together. There's a marriage of the two. God, I'm going to forgive those who've wronged me, and, they're, and I know you're forgiving me. And so to claim that we have received forgiveness for every sin and failure and flaw or action or thought... To claim that we receive forgiveness in Christ and then yet withhold that from people in our lives, that's actually partly narcissism, all about me. The other danger of withholding is this. We poison ourselves or we punish ourselves by letting that pain fester in our hearts. You're poisoning yourself when you don't give forgiveness. You poison. When somebody is seeking you out or whether they're not, whether you know, you know what, I just have to release them in my heart, but you don't, you poison yourself. But then I know so many people and you're still punishing yourself. And I've done this because you did something wrong and people have forgiven you and moved on from it and they've forgotten, but you haven't forgiven yourself. You're still punishing yourself for something that God has forgiven you of, for something the people that you hurt have forgiven you of and they moved on and they really don't hold it against you. But yet in your mind, the enemy has come in and says, yeah, but they're always thinking about that. And you still punish yourself and you can't forgive yourself and you have a hard time forgiving yourself. So how do you know if you're withholding forgiveness from someone? Do you know how you know? Who do you have a hard time praying for? Who do you have a hard time praying for? See, Jesus says, pray for your enemies and those who use you. I don't like that verse in scripture. I really don't. And sometimes I thought, well, Jesus, you didn't tell me like what I had to pray for my enemies. Gave me a little loophole there. He just said, I should pray for them. I'm like, me and you, God, I'm gonna pray for them, all right? Jesus says, pray for your enemies and for those who use you and persecute you. And I don't, I don't like that because I think Jesus prays good for people. Not suggesting, again, that we put ourselves into an abusive situation or dangerous situation or be the victim of someone else's sin again. There are certain times where you say, all right, I got to call it on this relationship, but there's never a time where you can withhold forgiveness and it's a good thing for you. Never. Here's a scary prayer I'm about to give you, and I'm going to tell you to like stick your fingers in your ears and don't listen if you don't want God to answer a prayer I'm about to give you. Pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, if there's anyone I haven't forgiven, bring them to mind now. Boom, you just got to an answer to that prayer. Why? Because those things are right on the tip of our tongue. If, if there is someone, then you know immediately who it is. Now, flip side of that. If there's anyone I need to seek forgiveness from, bring them to mind now. Boom. God starts answering those prayers around the room, doesn't he? 
It's like, you got the face and the name in mind. Church, we by the essence of who we are are called to know and love and live new life in Jesus and to lead other people to do that. But you know there's no way. It's impossible to be on mission. And that's why I've been passionate about this. It's impossible to lead our kids to know and love and live Jesus until we get rid of this elephant. God, I will not withhold good from my wife. I will not withhold good from my spouse. Anytime I do betray myself, I'll get back up and say, Lord, you gotta help me get on a new path again because this is not working, Lord. I can't do this to the person that I claim I love, like the kids you allowed me to bring into the world. I can't withhold good from them. I mean, I get it. I was so blessed to have a dad who broke a generational cycle. He never heard his dad say, I love you, not one time. My dad decided that he was going to break that cycle and let his boys know, you know what? We hunted together. We fished together. We wrestled. We rode four-wheelers. My dad never had a problem looking me in the eye and said, I love you, son. Never did. You know what? So I, I got to grow up with, with not having dad issues like some of my friends and some of the people I love. And so here's what I'm looking at you and saying, maybe God has called you mom, maybe God has called you dad to be that generational cycle breaker. Put the the pride aside, put the stubbornness, get through the stubbornness and go, God, I'm not gonna withhold good from my family. It's just not gonna happen on my watch. Not gonna happen. And so as we wrap up this thought today, I wanna look at an ancient psalm from King David. Look Look what he writes. He said, the Lord God is our son and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. He pours out his grace and glory on us. And look what it says. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. God doesn't withhold from you. Think about how Jesus lived. I just let my mind go back because, you know, I've, I love the Bible. I've read the scripture. I've tried to get to know the story of Jesus now for many years. And I keep reading it, and every time I read, I learn more. And I'm walking through the story of Jesus, and I thought, you know what? He forgave this guy, Peter, who said, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I'm not going to desert you. And then what did he do the night Jesus got arrested? He denied him and deserted him. And Jesus forgave him. He could have been justified in withholding forgiveness from Peter. Not only did he forgive him, he immediately restored him and said, Peter, you're going to go out, and I'm going to build my church on you. The guy who denied me and messed up and who lied to me and tried his best, but you know what? Weren't enough. You know what? Jesus was kind for three years to Judas. I have a hard time with that, church. I would have easily, if I had been in the place of the Lord, knowing that this guy's gonna betray me, I would have had a hard time not withholding my love and my forgiveness and my gratitude from that guy. There would have been an obvious elephant there. Maybe the other 11 disciples, yeah. But that one guy... But Jesus was kind to him. You know what? Jesus prayed forgiveness for the soldier who drove the nails into his hands. Come on, man. None of us have had to go that far yet. Jesus did not withhold prayers of forgiveness even from the people who were torturing him. He fed and healed people who never followed him. He gave of himself to people who never gave back to him. I'm going, Lord, I don't like this. And God just pressing into my heart and going, but this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You don't withhold. You don't create those tensions. Listen, Jesus lived with gratitude even though his short life was filled with suffering and difficulty. So what does it look like to live that reality this morning? That the Lord will withhold no good thing from us who do what is right. Well, what is doing right? Obviously, it's obedience to truth. Not betraying yourself but also 
it starts with an understanding. And it's this. Come to this understanding that Jesus doesn't withhold from me, therefore I won't withhold from others. That has to be the motivation. That's kind of the foundation of this entire thing. I come to this understanding, Jesus, you don't withhold good from me. You don't hold love from me. You don't withhold even gratitude from me. You don't withhold any good thing from me, Lord. And therefore, I'm gonna let that be my motivation today to free this elephant and go, Lord, whatever it is. Now, I just gave you three. There's love, there's gratitude, forgiveness, but there are other ways that we can withhold good. And maybe the Lord's pressing into your heart going, hey, it's time to lay down the pride and let the Lord move in this. And so by withholding from others, we may literally be hindering our own blessings. 1 Peter 3, 7 talks about that by, uh, by the way a man treats his wife, if he doesn't treat her right, he can actually be hindering his own prayers to the Lord. And I thought that kind of applies across the board, though. When we begin withholding good, actually, we could be praying and praying and praying, and God's going, I'm just waiting on you to do the good thing you already know you should be doing. Man, we take ourselves too seriously day we live in where people can see into our lives through social media and you know I think it's easier to withhold love and gratitude and forgiveness these days because it seems so faux it seems like a front sometimes we even blame this withholding on our theology you know who also did that the Pharisees in Jesus day I can't do that on the Sabbath Jesus I can't give that because I've already promised it out. There's so many ways where they use their theology, and I want to say this to you. If your theology has caused you to withhold love, you have a bad, unbiblical theology. If your theology leads you to withhold forgiveness, then you don't have theology. You have somebody else's. You have a man-made version of what God looks like. If your theology causes you to withhold gratitude, then I'm just going to tell you, That's not what the scripture teaches. Listen, to withhold good from someone is to literally withhold Jesus from someone in your path and in your home. You are the Jesus that's there. But it's time to lay pride aside and stubbornness aside. And you know this, if this is you, you know who it is, who you are, and let that love shine through. But a couple of responses this morning. First is this, whom have I been holding love, gratitude, or forgiveness from? Again, a prayer that I don't like, but a prayer that God often answers. Who have I been withholding from, Lord? And then you may want to go one step further. God, why have I been withholding that? Can you show me? Because I want you to deal with me. I haven't met any followers of Jesus who openly say, you know what, I don't want to be a more mature follower. I don't want to be more like Christ. I, I don't meet people on my journey. Maybe you feel that way, but I don't meet people who say that. But what I do meet people that do is they find these loopholes like, loopholes like, I'll just withhold good. I'll withhold my forgiveness. And what you're saying is, God, I've grown enough. I don't want more of you. I don't want more of you in my home. So who have I been holding love, gratitude, forgiveness from? And then the second question is easy. Like, so am I willing to take a tangible next step towards freedom? So what's the tangible next step? It's to begin to let the Lord first deal with the reason that you won't say I love you, that you can't, that you can't get back. Some of you have been married a short time, and I hear you. 
I hear from some of you, and already it's so hard that there's a wedge. There's an elephant that's been driven between you and your spouse, and the kids came, and the business of life, and the bills you're trying to pay, and everything's overwhelming. And so what we do is we just settle for, for living with this elephant between us, and all you got to do is free it, is put down your pride, and maybe just say, I forgive you, or will you forgive me? I love you. Can you receive that? Or thank you for being there with me. I can't, I, I can't even express. One day I'll be able to tell you the story. I can't tell you how many times in the last month I've had to look at my wife and say, thank you. Thank you for just being with me through this season of my journey. People feel your woundedness. People feel the woundedness. Do you know what? Wounds wound other people but once it's healed, it becomes a scar. And you know what scars do? Scars tell a story. If you ever seen me up close, I got a massive scar from 300 stitches when I was in third grade. I got, that's not the only one. That's just the one that's on. Happens to be right smack dab on the front of my face. And so, do you know, it would be pretty nasty if it was still a wound. Like you wouldn't have voted me in as pastor. They go, no, no, he doesn't have a brain. But the scar, you're like, well, he's ugly, but at least he can preach. So come on, we'll take you. And so do you know what though? Do you know when, when people actually ask me about it, I get to tell them the story of how my mom saved my life on the side of the road one day and that through a long journey in the hospital. And you know, I, tell, I told my kids, God gave me a new brain. They really didn't. But I, I did have a lot of surgery and I got through all that. But I thought, you know what? My scar tells a story. You know who else kept his scars when he came back from the dead? Jesus. I thought he could have risen from the dead with no scars, but it says when he rose up, what did he do? He went to his disciples and said, hey, hey, look at my scars. And so a lot of this is related to the fact that we haven't let wounds healed because we're so scared of what the scar will look like. But once you get a scar, it's like a good tattoo, man. It tells a story. Let me tell you what went on here. I can tell you what went on in my life. What wound is it that God wants to heal? Listen, wounds wound others, but scars tell a forgiveness story. Jesus kept his scars. There's a place where you have to choose love and gratitude and forgiveness. There's a peace that comes when you choose love and gratitude and forgiveness. I would even say that one of the things that holds back revival from the church is this pride that stands in the way of us just letting go before the Lord. Now, there may be somebody and you already know in your heart that you gotta let God deal with you on this area, but I wanna address one more thing before we close. There's some of us and the truth is, our woundedness has pushed us away from God. Maybe it was something that happened years ago or something that has gone on in your life and I'm not making light of it. I'm not telling you it's a little thing. It could be a big thing, a loss, a pain, something happened to you. I'm not trying to make light of that. Listen, there's no way that I would ever do that. But what I am telling you is there is a God that loves you anyway. And he understands that you've been upset with him. And he understands that, that you pushed back from him. But listen, he wants to heal the wound this morning. The only way that you can get out of this, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, is to surrender. And maybe for you, that's because you once were there and it's time to come home. So I'm one of the crazy guys that go, we're going to leave the baptistry up here and leave it wet. And we got extra towels and some changes of clothes somewhere back there. Because I thought, you know what? Maybe somebody today realized it's me. I've been withholding myself from the Lord and I feel him calling my heart today. 
I feel God. It's like he's right in the seat beside you right now and he's pulling you in and saying, it's you, it's you, it's you. You know I love you and I, I get it. You push back from me, but you know. And you know what? The craziest bold step, I'm crazy. And I'm just hoping maybe somebody here will be crazy enough to go, I'm not gonna withhold from the Lord anymore. I'm ready not only to surrender my life to Jesus, but like make it public today in baptism. And so that's an option. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow all over the house in the theater this morning. Bow with me. And just consider something for a moment. Where is withholding? Where's the elephant of withholding coming into your life? How's that pressing on your pride? And what are you going to do about it? You may need to grab the hand of the person you came with this morning and just go ahead and start working it out right now. Listen, there'd be nothing better. That talking's acceptable during prayer, okay? If you're working it out. But for you, if you've never surrendered your life before, all you gotta do is just in your heart say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I'm putting my faith in you for salvation. And then this hard part, Lord, I'm also gonna not withhold your lordship. I'm gonna let you be the Lord of my life right now. And God is so good and gracious to allow us that choice to invite him in to say, Lord, I want you to be the boss of my life. So maybe from your heart to the heart of God right now, you just want to say that. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you as my Lord and my Savior. And just ask him, say, Lord, will you save me? So if that's you this morning and the withholding has been between you and God and now the walls are down, listen, all of a sudden there's a freedom that comes when you step out and just go, Jesus, I'm ready to let everybody know this. I know it's crazy. I can't even believe I would think about getting baptized this morning. But you know what? Maybe you brought me here just for this today to surrender to you. And so I want to pray and then I want to invite you to stand in just a moment and respond. So Lord, in this moment, I'm asking you, God, to give boldness to those who need to take a step. Lord, to need to stop withholding and start giving. Maybe to pray with the person sitting beside them. Maybe to pray for the person they wish was here but wasn't. Maybe to come down uh, to the altar and just kind of get on our knees and go, Lord, I need your help so that I won't withhold this good. Or maybe, God, to come and let it be known that today is the day, like Patty a few weeks ago, today is the day that I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ So Lord, I just praise you and I pray now that you will let there be boldness in this room to respond to your message in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me today and listen, I'm gonna be... Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. If you want more information, please visit our website, riverbendchurch.life.